Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome back to Politico Tech. We made it to Friday, December 8th. I'm your host, Stephen Overly. Washington had doom on the brain this week. Specifically, the worst case, what if scenarios that may play out someday if artificial intelligence keeps getting smarter without any restrictions. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer convened experts to game out those very concerns this week. He hosted back-to-back listening sessions with tech executives and advocates, bringing his total number of sessions to nine so far this fall. Janet Haven was among those in the room. She's the executive director of Data and Society, an organization that studies the consequences we all face from becoming more dependent on data-intensive technologies, like AI. The idea of existential risk, right, is is very, it's like really compelling, right? You, you, that The idea of like humanity could be wiped out, like, right, we're all going to stop and pay attention to that. <laughs> but Janet's doomsday scenarios, they're not set in the distant future. There are so many ways that we see, you know, we see concerns around the current use of AI systems. And I think that's something that we need to be concerned about now and addressing now. On the show today, Janet and I dig into the AI threats happening today and what policymakers should be doing about them. Janet, you participated in the Senate AI Forum earlier this week, focused on doomsday scenarios. What did you tell senators, you know, was your sort of doomsday AI scenario? The main point that I brought to the forum is that AI policymaking, in my opinion, should be evidence-based. And I think it should be grounded in the urgent real-world harms that are affecting Americans today. We have a large body of rigorous empirical research that shows that AI is endangering Americans' health. Um, It is limiting their opportunities. It is violating civil rights. Um, It's perpetuating bias and discrimination. And and my message um, in the forum was that I think those are the harms that Congress should be primarily concerned with as they think about how to legislate regulation for AI. It is useful to the extent that um, that Congress wants to take up the concerns around existential risk and and also about um, more near-term uh, catastrophic risk in the sense that by passing federal legislation to address current harms now, Congress is going to be creating the infrastructure and the expectation of accountable and governable AI. That is, it's, it will be creating those frameworks of protection for future risks as they unfold. It will give us the mechanisms, which we do not have now, to, um, to measure, to test, and to evaluate systems and, and put those requirements in place. And it will also build that muscle um, in government and in industry to know how to do that and to identify any novel risks that that are going to be or that could be emerging down the line. It sounds like you sort of went in with a message of, you know, hey, there are some real real issues he- right here, right now uh, that deserve our attention compared to these existential risks. How well received do you feel your message was? 
Well, it was a it was a big forum of of people, but you know, I feel like I I got to I got to deliver that and I really appreciated the opportunity of of being included and and being able to um to talk about those concerns. I think it's critical that we don't think about the issues of AI safety and uh the protection of rights as something that we only need to worry about in the future as models develop further or become more complex or have more agency than they do now, which is, you know, one contention that has been brought by people who are concerned about existential risk. The concerns about safety, about rights protections, need to be at the forefront now. <laughs> it's not a situation where we're, you know, living in a an AI environment where everything is great and right. um, nobody is being harmed and there are no risks. Quite the opposite. And again, we have a very, very deep bench of empirical research that has articulated those harms in a number of of different settings, a number a number of different areas, from hiring to criminal justice to access to public benefits, to education, et cetera. There are so many ways that we see, you know, we see concerns around the current use of AI systems. And I think that's something that we need to be concerned about now and addressing now. And I guess uh, with that in mind, and I, I do want to dig into some of those present challenges, do you feel that the uh, the talk of doomsday or the talk of existential kind of threats, does that get outsized attention? Or are we too focused on that when, as you're saying, we do have kind of these real and present challenges to be worried about? Well, I think one of the challenges um, is that is that the idea of existential risk, right, is is very, it's like really compelling, right? You, that The idea of like humanity could be wiped out, like, right, we're all going to stop and pay attention to that. It certainly gets the blood pressure up. It certainly gets the blood <laughs> right? pressure up. Right, yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, and so I think that it, it naturally, you know, fulfills our Terminator sci-fi, you know, kind of fantasies. And um, I, I think that, you know, what's what's complicated about it is, there are very, very smart people in the world who are concerned about it. And I am not certainly taking a position that, that we should dismiss risk assessment. But I think that what's important to put front and center is that while it is absolutely reasonable to consider a whole spectrum of risks related to AI, there are a set of, a set of risks and harms for which we have empirical evidence to show that they are happening. On the existential risk side, uh, we do not have that empirical evidence. We don't, we don't know what we don't know, but we also don't have any rigorous mechanisms for assessing the validity of those claims. And, and I think that, you know, even in a room where you might get together a a large group of a very august, you know, scientists who have worked on this issue for many, many, many years, you will find vast, vast disagreements in terms of what we are actually concerned about and what we're even right. looking at. Well, in terms of then the the real and present risks, and you've named several of them, you know, concerns about bias, concerns about health, um, concerns about AI and employment. I guess what stands out to you as the issue here and now that has sort of the most evidence behind it or the clearest case for 
policymakers should really put their focus on addressing this issue now? I mean, I think from from the the sort of highest level, I think that we need to be very concerned with rights protections. This is where we already have law. One of the challenges of understanding the the ways that AI is violating civil rights is that it's quite context specific, right? So in other words, what happens by using AI in a hiring algorithm produces a different set of concerns than, for instance, how AI might be used in the criminal justice system to assess risk or how AI might be used to assign or cut off access to public benefits for you know, Medicare Advantage insurance recipients, which is something that has happened across the country. Um, there's also, you know, a different set of concerns, for instance, that we might see happening with the use of facial recognition software in policing, where we've seen multiple times, you know, false arrests taking place because of an over-reliance on facial recognition and false uh, identifications. So in each of those cases, we need to understand what are the benchmarks for algorithmic discrimination in that setting? That is a very urgent concern. Um, and then we need to have, that's something that through the recent executive order on AI, the federal agencies have been tasked with really defining, with really digging into. Um, and then they are um, also tasked with enforcing. Right. But to be able to do that enforcement at the scale that is going to be required, they will need additional funding. They will need additional resources. And I think this is something that, um, that Congress really needs to pay attention to, that, you know, if part of the sort of uh, position in terms around legislation is like, well, we, we may not need entire, a whole set of new laws, we have laws, well, that may be true, but, <laughs> but the agencies that are, that are tasked with um, with actually enforcing those laws and defining how to use them in this new environment need additional resources, additional capacity, right. um, and maybe additional powers like subpoena powers to companies in order to really protect Americans' rights. I wonder, uh, you know, if you might drill into one of those examples a little bit further. I'd just be curious what you've seen in your work. You know, for instance, if you you mentioned this example of people being denied or removed from public benefits, um, which mm -hmm. uh, honestly is is not uh, among the issues I've heard about with AI, not one I've heard very much about myself. What what is sort mm -hmm. of the the real present danger there in in your view and from what you've seen? So I think there are a couple of ways to come at this. One of the issues with algorithmic harms and harms from AI is that they are disproportionately affecting vulnerable and minoritized um, groups. And so, for instance, one vulnerable group is low-income people and the elderly. Mm. One example of this is that Medicare Advantage insurance companies, which is, which is uh, an insurance that is state-supported for the elderly, are using AI and unregulated predictive algorithms and that deny people's claims at a rate that is disproportionate. And there is no oversight or appeals process that is meaningful. What this means is that that, that leaves senior citizens, elderly Americans who have paid into that system for their entire lives on the hook for paying for care uh, and without any, any recourse. So one of the things to one of one of the ways to think about that is 
Um, going back to another policy document that came out of the White House, the um, out of OSTP, the Blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights, which listed five key principles um, that we should be looking for in um, in governing artificial intelligence with a rights-respecting framework. One of those is protection from algorithmic discriminations. One of them is safe and effective systems. That is, the system should should do what it is um, designed to do and do it well. And then another one of those is a human in the loop. That is, human fallback. There is a mechanism for when when somebody is harmed by an algorithm or believes that they're harmed by an algorithm, because of course they're um, they are not transparent. Right? These are proprietary systems that. Um, that are not open for public scrutiny for the most part. A human in the loop means that a person who believes that they have been unfairly treated by an algorithmic system or an AI system has some mechanism of recourse to a person, Mm. (laughs) that they have a way to seek redress for the harm that they experienced. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. You mentioned the AI executive order as well as the Bill of Rights. Those really are sort of the boldest step yet I think Washington has taken toward any kind of AI regulation or, or AI rules. I mean, is anything in that address kind of the these concerns that you're raising or is that still kind of to be determined at this point? No, I, I think that both the executive order um, and an accompanying memo from the OMB, which came out at the same time, it's still in draft format and they're going through a comments period. But what it does, what the OMB memo does is that it uh, provides specific direction to government agencies um, for how they can use AI safely and in a rights-respecting way. But at a higher high level, the EO essentially centers this first step in in defining America's, you know, strategy for AI governance as grounded in um, primarily in current harms in and in a framework of rights and safety protection. Um, so that I think was really really good to see. Um, it does what it what it does is that it it directs agencies. Um, to develop further guidance, but it also mandates hard accountability. That is, it mandates actual oversight mechanisms um, that that draw very much from the principles that were outlined in the AI Bill of Rights. Um, and what the OMB memo does is it lays out with a great deal of specificity the kinds of evaluations and tests that government agencies must do when an AI system is deemed to be rights or safety impacting in order to use that system. And this is really a novel form. I mean, it sounds kind of obvious, like it should pass a test, like it should be safe and not not violate people's rights before you can use it. But that is like 
a radical departure from, you know, how, how, uh, how technology systems have been put into place until now. Sorry, what is so novel about it? You know, if you could sort of put a point on that. What's novel about it is that the OMB memo in it, and again, this is a draft. So the final, the final form of the OMB memo will come out in the spring. But what the OMB memo draft says is that an AI system may not be used if it does not meet a set of criteria that ensure its rights, that it is rights protecting and that it is safe to use. Got it. And so the OMB memo not only sort of posits that at, you know, a high like theoretical level, but says you need to test for the impact of that system in these particular contexts. You need to um, engage the public in this. What's a, a novel approach is to say you can't use the system unless it passes these tests. And so what that really does is that it sets the federal government up to be um, a model of rights protecting and and safe AI. Got it. Um, well, you were saying earlier that, you know, some federal agencies might need more resources, right, to be kind of empowered to address some of these AI uh, challenges. And I, I, I wonder if you mean both financial resources as well as sort of legal legal authority. One thing I like to do on this podcast is give guests a magic wand. <laughs> so if I give, if I give you a magic wand and and you could sort of make some of those resources suddenly available, what would what would sort of be your first or second wish? Um well I so I that's a great question. <laughs> the magic wand. Um I think that Congress needs to be um, allocating more funding to enforcement agencies in particular. So agencies that have enforcement powers already are going to need new capacities to be able to meaningfully apply those powers as they um, build the the understanding and and hopefully bring on the new staff that will um, that will actually. Uh, you know, do that work to protect uh, American civil rights. And many of those enforcement agencies, for instance, have an Office of Civil Rights already that might need to be expanded. Another version of it is the the FTC established an Office of Technology, you know, that is staffed by agency technologists who also uh, should have access to, you know, legal scholarship, legal knowledge, to be able to understand the novel um, sort of conditions and needs under which they they would need to pursue their enforcement um, activity when it comes to AI systems, and in the in the FTC's case, of course, it is around you know comp- competition and consumer fraud. Excellent. Well, um, Janet, I appreciate you joining us. You know, we set out to talk, initially talk about Doomsday, and Doomsday might might be here. At least there's something to worry. There's something to worry about here and now. Uh, as it sounds like. Um, thank you for joining us on Politico Tech. This has been great. Thank you very much. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you back here on Monday.